Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. And now, with all the aplomb afforded to him, here now is the great bearded one, Dr. History. You know, I should just shave this off. I wish you would. So you could have something else to say. Well, you know, I I always introduce you differently every week. That's true. Yeah. Tip your microphone up just a little bit. How's that? Your beard was catching it. (laughs) Well, so... uh, Pretty nice out there. It is, but you know, I had a concern before you walked in the door this morning. I'm really concerned we haven't heard from Dr. Veeble, Schuster, Budweiser, whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's been kind of quiet for a while. I wonder uh, what, I hope he's all right. uh, I might have to email him to make sure he's doing okay. So, how's everything in the land of uh, history with you? Good. We are, you know, we have talked about paddle wheelers, steamboats, yeah, yeah. on the Mississippi, yeah. on the Missouri. Well, you don't find them in Murtaugh Lake. <laughs> you don't find them there. Sometimes on the Snake River. Yeah, yeah. And there has been some, yeah, you know, that yeah. tried to go up the yeah. uh, through Hell's Canyon. Yeah. So, but did you know there were paddle wheelers on the Colorado River? No. You ever heard of that? No. So, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. So there was a paddle wheeler called the California, and it was in San Francisco Bay in 1849, and it came all the way around from New York, around the tip of South America. Holy moly. And, you know, I've read a lot of stories about that tip of South America, the storms, the waves, the... Oh. In a paddle wheeler? Yeah, a paddle wheeler. I mean... Uh, How long did that take? Uh, probably six months. Probably. Oh. But it made it around there, and there was a lot of them that did. Is that how Quigley got to Australia? It is. 
<laughs> but it was rough going. But, you know, a lot of them went over the Panama Isthmus, you know. They, uh, they'd go that far, unload the passengers and cargo and all, get it across the Isthmus, catch another paddle wheeler going from on the west side back up to San Francisco. So, anyway, oh uh, this paddle wheeler, they could navigate the Sacramento and the San, jo- San Joaquin Rivers around San Francisco. They'd take passengers and gear to the gold fields, you know, in that area. Well, further gold discoveries meant a large increase in the overland treks coming west. And so the Indians were preying on these westbound wagon trains. So the army needed some forts to uh, establish to protect the travelers. So the first paddle wheeler on the Colorado River came as a direct result of the founding of Fort Yuma. Okay, late in 1849. Mm. So provisions for the California Fort, Fort Yuma, located on the west bank of the Colorado, uh, had to get there by wagon and pack mule trains across the mountains, across the deserts, from San Diego. And it was a slow, uh, kind of dangerous process. And it cost 500 to $800 per ton to get all these uh, supplies over to Fort Yuma because, you know, they had to supply food and provisions and everything for the uh, military people at Fort Yuma. Mm-hmm. Now, in an attempt to determine the feasibility of using steamboats to supply the fort, Lieutenant George H. Derby received orders to test the possibility of navigating the Colorado. So, in the fall of 1850, Derby, a topographical engineer by training, sailed his 120-foot skiing schooner. Wait a minute. Stop. Just for a second. You sailed through topographical. You did great. And then you mess up schooner? (laughs) My tongue got tied. (laughs) It was named the Invincible. All right? Let's just leave it at that. How fitting. So... And he went from San Francisco around Baja, California, and up the Gulf of California. A lot to, of sharks out there. Is there? Oh. Yeah. So he got to a point about 30 miles above. He went up the Colorado about 30 miles, and he said the water was too shallow to go any farther. So from there, the supplies for Fort Yuma had to be carried on barges for the rest of the trip, nearly 90 miles. Now, were these steam-fed paddle wheels? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Really? So, you know, the people at the fort, they appreciated the goods, but they also liked getting information because, you know, they were kind of cut off from the world, you know, so they liked to. So, anyway, Derby uh, stated that the Colorado River River could be navigated. I got to have a drink, Zeb. (laughs) Uh, Have another drink. There we go. Now now I'm loosened up. Okay. So he recommended the stern paddle wheelers that drew less than three feet of water, you know, that that's all they needed, so they could pass over the sandbars and stuff like that to get up the river. What about the damage to the paddle wheels? We'll talk about that a little bit. I figured there, you there's, would. There's something you'll enjoy. Anyway, in 1852, a contract was awarded to Captain James Turnbull. He established the beginning of riverboat trade. Turnbull purchased a small steam tug, broke it down, and shipped it along with his first load of supplies on the schooner capacity from San Francisco to the mouth of the Colorado. It took, took two months to reassemble the tug. 
But in November, Turnbull's 65-foot sidewheeler named Uncle Sam started upriver with 32 tons of freight. I don't think I've ever been so entertained as I am listening to this story. <laughs> Folks, it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> Okay. Not when you got some fat cowboy sitting across uh, from you laughing. <laughs> okay, we'll continue here. Okay. Uh, Turnbull's River uh, Commerce <laughs> went really good, but it took more than four months to unload all the gear and the stuff uh, for the Colorado and transport four the goods months. to Fort Yuma. So Turnbull continued his effort until the Uncle Sam, the boat, sank in May of 1858. At one point, he decided to give up the Colorado River trade. Yeah. Okay. So it was basically decided, yeah, this isn't going to work. Well, for the rest of 1853, the fort was again supplied overland by mule train from San Diego until Captain George A. Johnson picked up the challenge. He thought, okay, we can do this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He dismantled, now this I thought was interesting. He dismantled a steamboat in San Francisco and transported the parts to the mouth of the Colorado overland. That's about what? Uh, what Six or eight hundred miles? Twelve hundred miles? At least a thousand or so. Yeah. So by January 1854, the 104-foot side wheeler called the General Jessup was ready to start upriver. It was propelled by a powerful 70-horsepower engine. The General Jessup carried 50 tons of goods with a only a 30-inch draw. It only needed 30 inches. 30 inches of water? That's, you know, less than three feet. That's yeah, not much. that's not very much. And it could float on that. Yeah, and 50 tons of goods. So Johnson's steamer made the trip from the Gulf of California to Fort Yuma and back in four to five days, and he charged $75 a ton. So Johnson saw a gross... Uh, 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 income of $4,000 per trip. Really? Four to five days. Wow. Haul, hauling goods. Now, the goods themselves. Now, this is interesting, Ken. Um, I would imagine that uh, in those days, uh, what kind of goods and services are you talking about? Are uh, they food surpluses food and, and everything else? Probably... Uh, I don't know about hay for the for the animals. Yeah, but, but what about the storage and the, uh, I hate to use this word, but like the canning of the food, the safety and everything? Right. Holy uh, smokes. You know, whatever they had to haul up there, the, but probably even saddles and bridles and uh, hardware, things like that uh, wow. for the blacksmiths. Wow. So anyway, it was very profitable for him. So in addition to using a more powerful boat, another thing helped the speed of the trip and the improved of availability of fuel. The Kokopa Indians saw the river traffic as an opportunity and worked at wood yards uh, and hauled wood from nearby mountains to the river's edge. And Had this was back in the 1850s. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So, and what's interesting is in the years to come, the Kokopah men would find employment as river pilots and navigators on the river. This is before all the great Sioux Indian Wars and everything yeah. else. And, and of course, before any of the dams were on the Colorado, of course. True, true. So, anyway, uh, so the boat, the General Jessup, pro- uh, proved to be so profitable that Johnson uh, added another ship to the fleet called the Colorado, and this was a little bit bigger. It was a 120-foot stern wheeler with an 80-horsepower engine, a little bit bigger. Wow. So by sem- December 1855, uh, the Colorado began operations on the river, for which it was named. Uh, because of its powerful engine, the Colorado was able to pull two large barges, uh, more than doubling the payload. So he was pulling two barges behind this steamboat. Okay, I got a dumb question for you. Okay. How would the paddle wheel... Yes. How did they manage to tow something behind them? Well, as I thought about that, I they had to have a, a really long rope. <laughs> <laughs> two, two really long ropes. No, but the rigging and everything, if yeah. they went around a bend, wouldn't it have a, a kind of an encircling or entwinement well, I, to I where... I don't know, Zeb. I... <laughs> Let's just use our imagination. Maybe they put it up high. I'm sorry. I asked. Maybe they put it up high. Okay. And the rope. Folks, just imagine that anyway it works. <laughs> okay. So, pulled the two large barges. And in another way, it clearly demonstrated the effectiveness of the stern paddle wheel. Now, this is kind of interesting. When faced with a sandbar that was too high to steam over, the Colorado merely turned around and used the paddle wheel to kind of chew its way across the sandbar. You've got to be kidding me. So, it just... It didn't break them? I guess not. Well, sand, I guess, was soft enough. And so, he back into it and put it in reverse and just move the sand out of the way. Was this on a metal frame and they used wooden uh, paddles or what? I'm pretty sure. Holy smokes. So I thought that was pretty ingenious. But anyway, he could have been up the creek without a paddle. <laughs> without a paddle wheel. <laughs> so with two boats on the river, Captain Johnson began to look for ways to expand his business. He heard rumors that an old French trapper, a guy named Anton LaRue, had rafted down the Colorado all the way from the mouth of the Virgin River, which wasn't very far from present-day Las Vegas. So that's a long ways up the Colorado. Oh, my. And he claimed that steamboats could reach that point, so Johnson decided it was worth investigating. And the forts in the interior of what would become Arizona and Utah, they needed supplies, they needed mail, and the water routes would be the theoretically the best way to get there, right? So, so in 1856, Johnson persuaded uh, the California people to support an exp- expedition up the river. So the Secretary of War, uh, uh, John B. Floyd, named a young topographical engineer named Joseph Christmas Christian Ives to take this on. <laughs> Lieutenant Ives ordered the construction of a stern wheeler, the 54-foot Explorer, 
the little iron-hulled boat built in Philadelphia was tested on the Delaware River to kind of mixed reviews. Ives had the Explorer dismantled and shipped by way of Panama to the mouth of the Colorado oh my. during the summer of 1857. It had a, you'd say, a peculiar profile with a howitzer on one end and a cabin on the other. Its oversized boiler took up a full third of the deck. The engine was underpowered for navigating the Colorado, and it was described as, quote, a waterborne wheelbarrow. Uh Uh-huh. You know, did you ever consider, though, that when they were shipping all these boats uh, transcontinental or from country to country, if somebody mislabeled or forgot some parts? Darn, where's that paddle wheel? (laughs) So anyway, December 31st, 1857, this Ives and the Explorer left the Gulf of California to find the limit to navigate. Unknown to Ives, Captain George Johnson, the other guy, left Fort Yuma on the same day with the same goal of seeing how far up the river they could go. Really? If they could get clear up to, to near the Virgin River up towards Las Vegas. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, the Colorado River above Yuma looked uh, much the way it did below the fort. So meandering along through miles of banks dotted with cottonwood trees and mesquite bushes. And, well, the voyagers, they spotted occasional fields of corn and beans that were being cultivated by the Mojaves. We know that they planted gardens, you know, the Mojave Indians. So it surprised Johnson that problems arose from some of the shallow sandbars that were difficult for the side wheeler, the General Jessup, to navigate, um, not from the rapids that he'd expected. He thought that would be the problem. But the problem was the river was lower than usual, so there were more sandbars, and further wood was not really available. So it, it was kind of a challenge for him to get that far up the river. How much of checking the river or scouting the river was done before they stuck those paddle wheels in there because of rapids and rocks yeah. and everything else? You know, I don't know how far up the river they sent guides or somebody to say, yeah, th- th- we've got some rapids or here's some sandbars. You know, I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. But by January 21st, 1858, the boat had reached the first rapids on the river, and the rapids actually were easy uh, to navigate, but it would take time with a, with very few rations left. They kind of were running out of food trying oh. to make it up there. So Johnson decided against con, uh, continuing up the river. So instead, he took a skiff, a small boat, a few miles up uh, to a spot with a good view of another 40 miles of unobstructed river ahead. They estimated the distance to the mouth of the Virgin River at about 75 miles and decided that the Colorado was able to be navigated for 400 miles above Fort Yuma, be, but because of their shortage of supplies, they couldn't didn't uh, test that out. But so the Colorado was actually navigatable all the way up to uh, the Virgin River above uh, or by Las Vegas. I didn't know that. So of course back then Las Vegas didn't exist. No, it was just a watering hole. Yeah. basically yeah. that's all it was. Well, they two, didn't stop at the casinos. There or was nothing there for the great brunches and everything. <laughs> right. Okay. So two days later, Captain Johnson turned uh, the general just 
gossip around and headed south. He was pleased to have beaten that Lieutenant Ives with his really awkward boat uh, this far upriver. Uh, on their f- first stop for uh, wood, the crew and passengers were, were startled to look up and see the profiles of camels on the bluff overlooking the river. Camels? Camels. We've talked about that, Zeb. Yeah, somebody freighted them in, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. The camels were no mirage. Lieutenant Edward E. Beale had successfully lobbied for $30,000 in funding to try out the famous ships of the desert. And uh, we did a story on that a long I time ago. I remember that, yeah. yeah. It didn't go well. It didn't go well, no. no. In fact, some of them got loose and were somewhat of a terror to run across in the middle of the desert. I've heard that. Yeah, they, they yeah. didn't like horses yeah. or people on horses. Yeah. So anyway, I'm an obnoxious animal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, about a week later, on January 30th, uh, the General Jessup uh, met the crew of uh, Lieutenant Ives, the Explorer, headed north. uh, And so far, Lieutenant Ives' trip had been embarrassing. His boat had made little progress. It was underpowered. It was overloaded. And it kept getting hung up on sandbars. What a treat to go in history. Underpowered and overloaded. (laughs) Overloaded. And we're not going to make it. Yeah. Anyway, so. These guys were really. You got to give them credit. Seriously, they, yeah. How many people do you know and are friends with that all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, if this were 150, 200 years ago, would say, "Okay, let's get a paddle wheel and try to explore. Let's head up this river yeah. and see how far we go." Really, the bravest ones are the ones that tried Hell's Canyon. Oh boy, those were the brave guys yeah. too. Or stupid. <laughs> or stupid. Well, by the end of 1859, George Johnson had found a lot of demand for his fleet services. Gold and silvers uh, were discovered more along the Colorado, so there was the big gold rush along the Colorado, uh, and despite the large increase in business, George Johnson still just ran the two steamboats, and he was paying more attention. He actually bought a big cattle ranch near San Diego, so he was kind of paying attention to that. The situation was ripe for a competitor, and in stepped the guy named Steamboat Sam. Oh, my. Steamboat Sam Adams. Really? Well, with backers in San Francisco, Adams hired a guy named Thomas Trueworthy to pilot a new, a new line of paddle wheelers on the Colorado. The men transported a 96-foot stern wheeler called the Esmeralda and the barge called the Victoria to the mouth of the Colorado. And smaller than Johnson's boat, the Esmeralda was more powerful and could tow a barge with a payload of 100 tons. Ooh. So Johnson, sensing the end of the monopoly on the River Trade came up with a new 135-foot steamer called the Mojave, the most powerful boat on the river, and it set a record time of 10 days and 2 hours for the 365-mile run up the river to El Dorado Canyon. I can't believe it. So, Have you got a picture of that boat? I do. Uh, what is it? Well, here's the Mojave. Oh, that, that's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my that, goodness. It is. But uh, anyway, so despite... The increase in business, uh, like say, he ran those two steamboats, but the com- competition forced Johnson to lower his rates. Pretty soon, it, w- it really wasn't worth it. Uh, by December of 1869, by the uh, or by the mid 1870s, his company did actually over a quarter million dollars worth of business 
carrying 7,000 tons of freight and about 1,000 passengers annually every year. Wow. Uh, but in 1877, the railroad reached the river. So in 1878, George Johnson sold out to the Southern Pacific Railroad. And that's and it. And that was kind of kind of the end of it, you know. i got to run, but I want to ask yeah. you one quick question. Okay. Uh, when the Indian Wars became more prevalent in the West, were they subject to attack on the riverboats? They were so amazed to see this boat chugging up a river with smoke bellowing out of these smokestacks. They were more afraid of them than anything. Really? Because they'd never seen one. Yeah. So for them, it was like this monster. Cowabunga. Char- charging up the river. Yeah. But here's another picture of a of a steamboat. That's huge. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Good heavens. But uh, kind of interesting. The and thus was born Steamboat Willie. Steamboat No, that was a Sam. cartoon. Sam. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he was a mouse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs>